there's a direction that life is intended to flow, a place in which that river is headed. And, uh, and the banks of the river must be well-defined. And those banks of the river are given to us in 66 books of the Bible, God's revelation. And so we got to get back to the banks of the river. Welcome to the Between Two Trees podcast, a podcast about shifting the conversation about marriage in this cultural moment. This podcast is completely listener supported, so please subscribe, share the podcast with your friends and your family, and even donate if you feel led. We're grateful you've joined the conversation. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Between Two Trees podcast, where we are shifting the conversation about marriage. We have a very exciting episode ahead. I'm with Kurt again here back in the loft. It's an early morning, drinking Bear Coast coffee from San Clemente. Um, and I'm very, very excited for the conversation today. It's going to be a real treat uh, for everyone listening. Uh, Kurt, do you mind introducing uh, who we have on the podcast today? Well, good morning. Thanks, Christian. We uh, we are looking forward to this and have been for, for a long time. We've got a, a father-son team up here, Crawford Loritz, who is one of the contributors uh, to the book, Marriage, Its Foundation, Theology, and Purpose in a Changing World, as well as uh, his son, Brian Loritz, who is a teaching pastor at Summit Church. Uh, these guys, uh, Brian has been a friend for quite a number of years, and Crawford and I uh, have crossed paths uh, most clearly in, in putting together this book. And so, hey guys, we're so glad to have you here. Thanks for taking the time uh, to, to talk with us about shifting the conversation about marriage. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's a great, great to be with you. Good, good. Hey, so as we as we think through this, and one of the one of the themes that is so central to your ministry as a pastor, Crawford, your ministry to your family and to the uh, the church at large has been that idea of setting the the tone of uh, of a legacy for family, and that legacy finds its foundation in marriage. And the the theme that you talk about often is the idea that uh, that we are investing in our family, we're investing in marriage in the church and community for a time that we may not see. Give us a little bit more on that, just as as far as how that captured your imagination and mm-hmm. has driven you forward as a man, as a father, and a husband, and a pastor. Well, I think two things. Number one is uh, just you know just just constantly reading through the scriptures, and as you read through the scripture. You come to the realization, obviously, that marriage is a cornerstone of every civilization and society, and that, uh, um, and biblically, that marriage is all about mission. It can be argued that marriage is always about a time that you cannot see, and what gives uh, what gives uh, focus uh, to our moment in history is the realization that God is using our marriage to shape future generations. So that's one piece. The other piece happens to be my my background, right? My my parents, mm-hmm. my family experience, uh, uh, going back several generations, and uh, grateful for the legacy of strong marriages. And so I had these kind of two two things coming together: the truth of God's word, and then uh, the modeling. I mean, my parents were not perfect; don't <laughs> only suggest that. But the modeling <laughs> of a strong, intact families and marriages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Brian, one of the things that we do when we do premarital counseling is we'll all often ask a couple, hey, growing up in your home, uh, all, no, as Crawford says, not any, every family, not any family is perfect. But when you look at that and, and there's things that you, you look up 
at growing up in that home and you go, hey, this is something I sure hope that doesn't get repeated in my home. But the one thing or the few things that I want to be sure get repeated as I start a family are these things. What are those things when, when growing up, uh, both under, under your dad as father, watching him as husband, and, and even as your pastor, what are the things that you looked at and you said, you know what, what I want repeated in my home when I raise my kids, when mm. I love my wife, is this. What was that? Mm. Well, let me run a commercial. I just wrote a book. On that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about the same thing. It saved you a lot of time. Huh? The dad so the I, yeah. I, I don't want to give away the answers. Uh, you can go to amazon.com. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, the, you know, I, I think that there's a, um, um, there's a word, you know, I, I do talk about four gifts that I think my, my dad gave, gave us, um, mm-hmm. relationship, integrity, teaching and experiences, but the glue to all that is intentionality. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think any great leader, one of the irre- irreducible minimums is intentionality, which is the exact opposite of passivity. Okay. So much has been made, you know, Robert Lewis really brought it to our attention, uh, back in the nineties, uh, with his men's fraternity, but just mm-hmm. how passivity is the natural gravitational force uh, for men that we inherited from from Adam. Mm-hmm. And so if we want to fight our Adamic proclivities, then intentionality is is kind of the current we, we have to swim upstream with. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Recognizing that passivity is our go-to. Um, h- how have you seen that in... Um, culture today or in your in your families and your congregation how have you um getting a little bit practical here but how have you um begun to shift that conversation to hey this is our go-to but we need to be an intentional group of people and how have you helped people swim upstream wow um you know, I, I, I happen to feel, and this may sound like a, a, a bunny trail here but I think it's directly related I actually think that uh, we're living in a culture where um, passivity is being fertilized by hyper-independence. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I think, the re- I, I think p- part, of the, part of our struggle is that we have, seen, we have seen sort of the erosion of accountability in our culture and society and uh, the redefining of truth and everything is uh, on an individual basis. And and so, yeah. so we, we tend to we tend to erode objectivity, and we make it subjective. Well, the problem with that, you know, my truth, mm. your truth, this kind of you can do whatever you want to do. Uh, it 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 untethers us. It untethers us from 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 discipline and from direction and from movement, and we become imprisoned to ourselves. And so, I think it's a little bit of a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And so, with the absence of an appreciation for objective truth with the absence of uh, powerful, positive encouragement to move away from being imprisoned by my passions and desires and wants. uh, Hmm. We're left with this swamp of passivity. I think even that idea that we look at that sense of uh, hyper individualism or or radical individualism. I think also that sense of of a a very rights oriented culture, you know, I'm going to get my rights in this. you know, yes. what, what is my marriage going to do to fulfill me? And I have the right yeah. to be fulfilled. And so I think that sure. becomes a huge part of it as, as well in that Crawford. I, I, I love that idea. And I, I love hyper individualism. That's uh, that's a great term to use. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you, you know, and you know, I mean, in order to do what is objectively right takes discipline, and discipline, by its very mm. definition, has to do with intentionality, mm. and and it has to do with self denial. It has to do with seeing something as more valuable and as more important than what I want. And what I want is not always what is right. And so I've just collided with our culture. Hmm. Yeah. One of one of my good friends, uh, actually, he brought this up um, in one of our leadership meetings at, at our company um, as he was reflecting on some of his readings and this, uh, this quote, and I, I don't know exactly where it came from, but he just talked about how discipline equals freedom, like true hmm. freedom. Hmm. Um, do you mind speaking a little bit on that of how the go-to, again, is passivity and hyper-individualism for the hope to have all the freedom yeah. we can get, but then really the way of Jesus um, and how we should live in our marriages is quite the opposite. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it almost goes without saying, right? You know, freedom without restriction is a vicious form, form of self-enslavement, and uh, there are banks of mm. a river, and, you know, this is kind of a, uh, a, a trite mm. illustration or a cliché, but it's true. A river without banks is a swamp. And uh, there's a direction mm-hmm. that life is intended to flow, a place at which that river's headed. And, uh, and the banks of the river must mm-hmm. be well-defined. And those banks of the river, we believe, uh, uh, represent, uh, I mean, are given to us in 66 books of the Bible, God's revelation. And when we adjust our lives and discipline ourselves to live within the context of truth, then there's a powerful force that impacts our moment in history and the future. And so we got to get back to the banks of the river and what those objective banks are. Okay. I love that, uh, the banks of the river, something that's in my mind. And and one of the, one of the, uh, early leaders of the navigators when we were at Glenary took me aside one day and he looked me in the eye and he said, uh, this was a group of us. And he said, gentlemen, you can either let your, let your life be a river that formed uh, like the Colorado river that formed the grand Canyon and made a huge impact, or you can let it be like the Florida swamps and it can ooze everything. And it all depends upon what banks you put on it. Wow. And uh, yeah, powerful. That's awesome. that's set in my mind. Yeah, that's cool. Going going back to scripture, uh, Crawford, I'm I'm holding the marriage book right now, um, and the mm. chapter that you wrote in it, um, and you just mentioned um, going back to Psalm 78, five through seven, mm-hmm. um, and just how important that is when you say how uh, how do we how do we do this? How do we live in our marriages for a time that we cannot see? Um, can you kind of take us through a little bit of um, why Psalm 78 really stood out to you and how that's formed the banks that, that you've, that you've taught and lived by? Yeah. Um, well, you know, Psalm 78 is a Psalm of Asaph and, and admittedly the Psalm is not, is not about marriage as such. However, the Psalm is about, uh, the, the nation of Israel and he pictures them as a family. And, mm-hmm. uh, and in that, in that, in that text, verses five through seven, he really establishes uh, the core of what it means to shape future generations. You know, mm-hmm. one is that there's a passionate perspective there that he established a, a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. And uh, that it begins with the character, the content of scripture um, uh, and, and, and the character of God. And so that's what we want to pass on from one generation to the next. And, uh, you know, and it says in the, uh, the latter part of verse five, 
which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. And uh, the Hebrew word teach there has to do with not just uh, the dissemination of truth, but by all means possible. Well, what's all means possible? What are we, what are we doing? Well, the vision has been given. We're, given. we're given the content of Scripture and the character of God. And mm-hmm. by all means possible, we're bringing each generation into direct contact with the character of God and the content of Scripture and, uh, and, help, and, 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 and helping that to shape, shape what they're thinking and believing. And, and then there's an outcome there, isn't there? I mean, down in verse, uh, uh, verse 7, it says, so that, the, that they should put their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's mm-hmm. the desired outcome. And really, this is so clear um, and simply stated, but it's difficult to do. But this is what we're all about. I mean, you you don't necessarily have have to have a Ph.D. in family formation to to shape a godly legacy. You Mm -hmm. you have to be passionately committed to truth and passionately committed to the authenticity of that truth by how we live and by what we do and being a portrait of the desired destination. And in the words of Brian, being intentional about disseminating that truth to future generations. Now, you can't Mm -hmm. guarantee, I mean, this is not a guarantee that uh, um, every generation is going to respond to that. Uh, What's the old line? Uh, God doesn't have any grandchildren. (laughs) But in all likelihood, in all likelihood, you, you create a compelling hothouse for, for, for other generations of flourishing godliness and, and Christ-likeness. So. Hey, that, that idea of the hothouse is so powerful. And uh, to think of that, because if you think of intentionality, you think of discipline, yeah. uh, both of those things, all, all of a sudden in, in, the, in the back of your mind is also the word sacrifice. Yes. <laughs> There's a cost to it, yeah. Brian. I, w- I want to hear from you a little bit, and and uh, you know your your dad can choose to listen to this or not. Uh, <laughs> but but what I want to hear, I mean, you watched your dad, you watched your mom and dad make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the family, and the sake of their marriage. Can you speak to that? What are some of those sacrifices that you saw in your home growing up, and and then mm-hmm. and, and and have repeated now? Yeah, you know, I think. Um, um, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about the four loves, and mm-hmm. I think what sets Great book. Uh, agape love apart from the other ones is it's sacrificial, right? For mm-hmm. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, you know, dies on a cross. And it's that that kind of sacrificial love that Paul pulls on, on Ephesians 5, right? When he is yep. Yep. Uh, illustrating uh, marriage with the gospel. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And, you know, it's it's just it's sacrificial. And really going back to what we were talking about earlier, as far as freedom, um, you know, the, the way to happiness is not autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've I've never met a happy adulterer. Mm-hmm. You know, a person who just chose to do whatever they want. You know, I've I've never met a happy person who just spent their way into debt. Right. So that banks of the river thing that that dad's dad's talking about. So, yeah, you know, you know, growing up, you you have no appreciation for um, for sacrifice. I think I think parents, uh, for better, or for worse, um, they they set their kids normal. Right. Hmm. And so it's not till you get older in life where you realize, huh. You know, hmm. to have parents who are still married, love Jesus, discipled me. 
that's not normal, <laughs> you know, but for much of my childhood, uh, you, you thought it was normal. And, and there are sacrifices that they made uh, that uh, that I'll never know anything about. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Uh, but you don't have a marriage coming up on 50 years that that hasn't made its share of sacrifices. So. Hey, I'm going to turn the table just a little bit on that, uh, Crawford. Uh, you've watched Brian now. Brian, you mm-hmm. guys have been married close to 20 years. Is that 21? 21 years. So, Crawford, you now wanted to invest for a time that you would not see, but the, you also get to invest in a time that you do see. Mm-hmm. What do you see now repeated in Brian's home uh, and in his ministry that is is the the the, the fruit of your investment yeah. in yeah. and, and in his marriage? Uh, you're going to get us to sing in Kumbaya by in a few seconds. So. <laughs> it's my favorite, man. It's on my playlist. Uh, no, I'm just, we're just really proud of Brian and, uh, and our other kids, but we're proud of him and just, uh, just his intentionality, you know, uh, the, the O-line, and I've said this so many times, you know, you tend to take uh, too much uh, credit when you're, when your kids make good choices and too much blame when they make bad ones. So, um, I think his mm-hmm. commitment to Jesus and to God's word and just to see how he he prioritizes Corey and those boys and uh, how he leads them and uh, loves them and models before them the destination. I mean, I, Karen, and I couldn't be prouder, you know, now, the truth of the matter is. And he would quickly say none of us, including yours, truly walks on water. I mean, um, uh. but, to, but, to, but to see that, that degree of intentionality that's demonstrated and how he's responded. And, you know, the thing that impresses me about him is, is, is how he has responded even during challenging times, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which really, which really it reveals and it, it gives us an insight into character. And so I, we couldn't be happier. I mean, just, uh, you know, I'm biased. I love his boys and my grandkids. They're the first batch of them. So, you know, I think he's done a great job. Hey, you know that, uh, thanks for taking this kumbaya moment, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, C.S. Lewis also made that statement. He said, nothing is better uh, than a group of Christian friends sitting around the campfire. And that mm-hmm. is about conversation. And, and yeah. uh, so we so much want this to be a mm-hmm. conversation. So appreciate that personal, personal moment. So yeah. can you, can, if I can jump in real quick. <clears throat> you guys um, talk about Crawford and your writing and both of you guys and, and you're teaching um, this idea for a time that we cannot see in, in this mission, this mission of marriage, this mission of family, mm-hmm. um, starting with the marriage and then when, when kids come. <clears throat> um, I think in today's culture, speaking for myself, it is so easy to not see beyond today, the, the right now. I mean, Social media is set up to capture the now uh, and to reflect on what was pr- what was prior, which is which is which is great, and it's great to reflect and to remember mm-hmm. and to be present. Mm-hmm. But having like a, a forward focus, having a, a vision for what's to come, I think is is not a muscle that we've we've quite uh, built. Again, just speaking, I, I statements here uh, mm-hmm. is something that I'm still working on. And and a friend um, shared this acronym with me that. Um, that I hadn't heard before, but it was alive, A-L-I-V-E, always live in view of eternity. And huh. that has like helped me in kind of the day-to-day to be like, okay, I need what I'm doing now has eternal impact. And trying to tie that in this messy thought process of mine to a mission, something that, that's a bigger story than me. But can you help 
uh, for young bucks like your son, uh, Brian, and then for younger bucks like me um, who are trying to wrap their head around. Brian's already wrapped his head around it. Again, yeah. I statements. But for, for folks that are trying to understand that mission a little bit better, can can both of you speak speak to that mission? Yeah, you know, um, uh, and bear with me on this one here. Uh, I've been doing a lot of thinking. I uh, The older I get, the more I value the sacred why of things. Um, hmm. I, I think, I think so much, uh, uh, th- th- there's a considerable amount of damage that has been done when we f- have focused on the transactional side of marriage, even in terms of our counseling, hmm. you know, hmm. uh, don't get me wrong. The how to's are very important. Okay. How to resolve conflict, how to manage your money, how to manage your money, how to fight fair, all of these, they're, they're wonderful. However, you know, untethered from that which is enduring, I mean, that's just, it just kind of helps you to be a better version of yourself in that moment. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think what we need to go back to, uh, the the resilience and the beauty and the nobility of marriage is found in the why of marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why did God institute marriage? Well, God instituted marriage as a sacred conduit by and through which we pass on the image of God from one generation to the next. And if we keep that in mind, and I think if we begin our marriage counseling at that point, at that juncture, that's the stuff of endurance. That's, that's, that's the stuff that will keep you together and keep you moving forward during dark, lonely times, because you're thinking about what your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren Will, will, will be like, how does this decision and choice that I'm making right now, or how do these set of values, uh, how's that going to impact that time that I cannot see? I yeah. am benchmarking the future when I, when I give definition to my moment in history by the why and not necessarily just the how. It's mm. beautiful. Brian, anything on your end? Yeah, well, you know, I think... Um, you know, the, the decreasing uh, marriage rate. So I'm not even talking about d- divorce, mm-hmm. but the decreasing marriage rate uh, is this present generation's response to the previous generation um, not really seeing their marriage as as a mission. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of like uh, even if you look at the divorce rates, if if one out of every two airplanes crashed, we ain't flying. Like yeah. you're not, <laughs> yeah, not, you're not getting on an airplane. Right. And, um, I, I think that's really, uh, how this generation, uh, is viewing marriage. You know, they, they've seen the pain, they felt the pain of it, of, uh, divorced mm-hmm. homes. And so wh- why not just live with somebody else? Yeah. Um, yeah. why not just, just cohabitate because we've, we've ventured off of mission. Hmm. Mm. I don't know if you guys uh, are familiar. I, I would guess that you may be uh, with uh, Brian and Stephanie Carter at Concord Church uh, outside of Dallas. One of my great friends. Oh yeah. 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 What they are what they are doing in their church to uh, to allow uh, couples that are cohabiting living together. Uh, Brian will preach on marriage, and then uh, they actually give them a free wedding that's preceded by premarital counseling, actually giving rent to them so that they can move out from each other as they prepare for their marriage and their wedding. And then the church celebrates all together. I mean, they what a, what a delightful view that is of mm-hmm. what the church ought to be doing yeah. uh, across the board to, to not only 
speak the message of intentional uh, vision of what marriage ought to be, but what the sacrifices are. And then the church and the community come around and support these couples to say, hey, listen, this is, this is it. This is the message. So powerful. Love that. Yeah. You, you know, one of the things that uh, has motivated myself and Karen, particularly me, um, the, we've been married for 49 years now. Um, but the, the vision of my father, my parents had been married for 53 years before my father uh, passed away. And, but I remembered when, when he was retired and had grandkids and this kind of thing, we'd go by to visit him. You know what he'd always talk about in that conversation? He, he would get around to talking about uh, the privileges. Now, get this. The privileges of sacrifice. He was, mm-hmm. he, he was talking about the, the, you know, getting up and going to work every day and and, and uh, uh, you know, working through difficulties, the ability to provide for your family and this kind of thing. And as an adult man, as Brian said earlier on, uh, you know, I didn't appreciate all of those sacrifices until I had my own children. And to hear mm. him articulate that he showed up. Mm. I can't tell you what that did to me when there would be, you know, hard times between Karen and myself or, or whatever. You know, you had this portrait in your mind of a man that that didn't walk away, that didn't mm. walk away, and I think mm. you know, man, I, I just I just ache for the, the this generation. My heart is torn uh, because you know we're we're trading in what we want, our convenience and and happiness and this kind of thing. We're saying like I'm out of this. I don't like what's going on now. You know, to be sure, to, to, to be honest, there are reasons to get out of a marriage. I do understand that. But they're yeah. trading they're trading their whole future away just because yeah. they're a bit uncomfortable, unhappy, and they've got to make some sacrifices for the moment. But you can't yeah. you can't underestimate the, the the power of modeling, particularly those who have endured, and that's where nobility comes, doesn't it? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know the, that axiom that says that ninety percent of leadership is just showing up. Mm. Uh, yeah, and one of the most most repetitive questions that we get from Christian couples, both both husbands and wives, is the question: What does spiritual leadership look like? Mm. Uh, because they're they're longing for that. The wives want their husbands to lead, but they don't know what that really means for them to lead. And husbands sure. are saying, "I really want to lead, but I don't even know don't what know that how. looks like." Yeah. And 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 Crawford, that that idea that it is it's showing up. And it's, yeah. it's being there and doing what is right and, uh, and making the sacrifice at the time that needs to be made. That's right. You know, I tell younger leaders this all the time, you know, um, uh, th- and this comes out of experience that I had a number of years ago with a young man that I was very, very high on. But the only problem he had was that whenever the heat would be turned up, he would run. And I just mm-hmm. said to him one day, I mean, extraordinary, gifted, um, a lot of ability, great talent, this kind of thing. And but he was always frustrated because he felt like he, quote, deserved more. And I just mm. said to him one day, I said, you know, God won't give you what you want because you won't stick around long enough to get what you need. Mm. And, and, you know, and that's, that's the whole thing. Uh, you know, leadership is, is, leadership is a verb. It's not a position on an org chart. Uh, mm. Leadership is what you do. And even in the family, it's showing up. It's adjusting. And. Uh, you're committed so that on your way to doing something, you become something. And uh, but I, I, I fear, you know, and Brian started it off. I just I, I just fear, you know, we keep we keep changing 
we keep rearranging the furniture in our lives and, and just painting over the, the cracks and spackling the cracks in the wall and not paying attention to the foundation and doing the heavy work. And so as we, as we continue to run, we lose our joy, we lose our resilience, and we lose our character. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Hey, I'm going to shift the conversation just a little bit here. Both of you guys, uh, in regards to the church at large in America, speak a lot to leaders, and you just mentioned that idea, Crawford. If, if we have this moment to speak mm-hmm. to, uh, to pastors and to Christian leaders about shifting the conversation about marriage to what it needs to be, uh, not about uh, not about our rights, not about our independence, not about uh, the the org chart and all of those things. Mm-hmm. What would be your message be to the men and women that are in the pulpit, that are in leadership, in regards to the message that uh, that the American church and the church worldwide needs to really hear about returning to that original intent? Speak to those pastors. What does what does that sound like? Wow, well, Brian, I may need to think a little bit more. So. <laughs> um, we call we call this we call, yeah this is a this is a creative uh, a pregnant pause here so it can be as long. <laughs> yeah, I, I think given our current cultural um, uh, milieu, it, you know, especially given all the racial tension and strife mm-hmm. that's out there, you know, it shouldn't be lost on us that uh, the family is the first of three institutions that mm-hmm. God creates, mm-hmm. and. You know, God always viewed the family to be um, the primary mechanism of um, impacting the world. I mean, that's Deuteronomy 6, that's Psalm 78. Yeah. And I think the discipleship of our children needs to be um, elongated somewhat. You know, we, we, we solely speak of discipling our children as it relates to the spiritual aspects of who they are. You know, so yeah. to teach them how to have a quiet time, share their faith, what yeah. life spirit looks like. Sure. But we not only need to give them a robust soteriology, we also need to give them a robust anthropology. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and teaching them what it means that, uh, you know, the Imago Dei, creating mm-hmm. the image of God, everyone has value. Mm-hmm. Uh, racism is a learned behavior. And I think I, I think it's it's um, it's always gained traction because of our failure to disciple our kids in these matters in our home. We've, we've become passive. So I think that message, you know, um, it's great to ask the question, where's the church as it relates to this? And, and that's appropriate. But we also need to a- ask the question, where's the family? Yeah. And that's what needs to be um, heralded from, from our pulpits and stages. Yeah, amen and amen. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I would I would add to that though I think uh, this this sounds this sounds so very uh, simple here, but I think as pastors and preachers and uh, you know uh, let me just say it I, I think we need to stop with the recreational preaching, and uh, get get back to t- really teaching what the Bible says about marriage and family, not just applying the scriptures to the the transactional pragmatic stuff. But what mm. does the Bible actually teach about marriage and family? Mm. What does it say about it? Uh, mm. What is its mission? And getting back and not being afraid to dive into the text of Scripture and say what the text says about marriage and family. And I think if we keep giving these, these topical a la carte forays into the, into the issue. They're helpful for a while. 
But it doesn't, as I said, I think the benchmark needs to, needs to be why. Needs yeah. to be why. And so I would encourage us, I'm not knocking practical messages, and God knows I've preached my share of them, and, and, and we should. There, there are some practical how-tos. But I think we need to get back to preaching foundational truths related to marriage and family and what does God want to do in your marriage and family and how is that connected to the broader themes of truth that's found in the Bible. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and stop, and this is a little bit of a hobby horse with me, and stop treating the scriptures or treating God as if he needs a publicist. Um, mm. But, you know, presenting that truth, and I'm not against relevance. We need to have windows and mirrors and all that kind of stuff when we preach and teach. But I think that's square one for us as preachers and pastors. Yeah. Uh, get back to what we're called to do and do it with passion and clarity. So interesting that, uh, you know, Genesis 2.24 begins with the phrase, for this cause. Uh, it is, it's causal. It's the, this is why marriage exists. And yeah. then it goes back to that idea of, as you said, Brian, of, of the image of God reflected in the Trinitarian relationship that is then displayed for all of the world and, uh, and, and all of the uh, creation to be able to see who God is as a God of love reflected in marriage of Adam and Eve, and then reflected in every marriage that follows, and then the body of Christ. Power. Well, you, you just said something that, that I, I mean, can you imagine, how many, how many young couples, how many like 22, 23, 24-year-olds standing there at the altar, how many of them realize that, that what, what's taking place there, once they say, I do, they're committing themselves yeah. to saying that my marriage is, tell, is to tell the truth about the Trinity. My marriage yeah. is to tell the truth about God. My marriage is to tell the truth about my relationship with Christ. And that's actually, that's, that's, that's the reason for it. I mean, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And, and we need to do a little bit more, more help in helping us, uh, a little more in helping people to, 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 to embrace that. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And I, it's super accurate. Um, and it's, it's a conversation that's, that's not had uh, a ton in the communities that, at least at my age, being 25, um, and, and married that it's, that's usually the, for the few that had the, the privilege of having a premarital session that mm -hmm. kind of were intentional enough or pursued to take it, um, that we were lucky enough to be pursued to, to take that. We had that shift of understanding that Trinitarian impact. Um, but for so many, it's, a we're five years into marriage and like then asking kind of the why questions, um, yeah. outside of just like the what and the how. So it's, um, thank you for bringing that to front of mind. Um, as you guys just spoke to pastors uh, and leaders and parents, um, also to speak to to couples, and you said don't be afraid to to go there, and just want to go there for a quick second. Brian, you wrote a really beautiful commentary uh, on um, from a based off of a book called "Is Marriage for White People," um, and speaking, kind of connecting it to this mm -hmm. cultural moment we're in now, and. It was really eye-opening for me to read. I hadn't heard of the book, uh, and then when I found out you were going to be on the podcast, I, I read your your article, and and there were some pretty eye-opening statistics uh, as far as marriage in the African American or Black community, um, and how that by reading the book you were inspired um, to to talk about this, to engage in that conversation, both in your preaching and as well as the way that you live. Can you, and just, and we have a few minutes left, but could you speak a little bit 
kind of synopsis on that article and and what inspired you uh, in your writing, kind of the message that you have for those? I forgot what I wrote, so uh, <laughs> um, you'll have to bear with me. Um, um, yeah, you know, I, I do want to just state the obvious that no one ethnicity or people group has um, has a monopoly on on bad marriages or or whatever. Mm-hmm. What is fascinating, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this Stanford law professor points out in in his book is marriage for white people is that you know African Americans um, are the most uh, unmarried people group uh, in, in our nation right now mm-hmm. and I think you know th- there's multiple reasons for that um, you know I, I think one of the things we got we got to just keep in mind you know a lot of people are asking about systemic injustice right sure sure and um, I mean, Race, it, slavery was the biggest, you know, system of injustice, mm-hmm. and it literally thrived off of um, off of the dividing of of marriages among black people, uh, mm-hmm. where mothers and fathers and kids were, um, you know, divided on the on the auction block, um, you know, where you you had you had. Uh, Black men who were slaves uh, used for breeding purposes. Um, so I, I, I don't think we've ever really come to terms uh, with that system and what it's what it's done to the institution of marriage in the black family. Right. Yeah. So uh, we've been working from a deficit since day one. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I'm not here to give a victim's mindset. You know, uh, the Bible I read says greater is he who's in us than he that is in the world. Uh, as mm-hmm. my friend H.B. Charles Jr. says, your past may explain you, uh, but it doesn't excuse you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are these are realities that we're just going to have to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. And somebody has to say, I'm going to reverse the curse. And I'm, I'm no matter what happened with my grandfather, great grandfather, father, uh, I'm going to start a legacy. Um, mm. and so that's, that's the idea there. It's never too late to start doing what is right and uh, become such a powerful thing. And, and, and you're absolutely accurate on that, Brian, that it's, it, it is in, it crosses racial, ethnic, cultural, international lines. And, and so that idea for all of us, we've got to return to that sense of, uh, of the why question. What is this all about? Why did God create marriage? God created marriage to reveal himself as a God of love. Mm-hmm. And that love is sacrificial. Sacrifice requires discipline. And discipline kind of leads us into that direction of intentionality that becomes so yeah. powerful. Gentlemen, we're so grateful. Hey, uh, Christian is going to tie this all together in just a minute. But before that, um, I, I, I get kind of a little crazy on, on, in my head as things that, that, that come to me, but, uh, Crawford, it's a normal state for Kirk to live in. Yeah. <laughs> Crawford, one of the things I think that is often missing in, uh, as, as you talk about where, where we are as pastors and leaders in the church is, is the sense of leading through prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes, but I'm going to ask you just a, just a quick short prayer sure. for the marriages that are listening mm-hmm. for, uh, for our marriages, for the church at large, mm-hmm. that we might uh, return to that idea that what we have been talking about, would you, would you do that? And then, and then Christian's going to pull it all together. I would love to let's pray. Mm-hmm. Holy father, we bow before you to thank you that you are the one who has created and ordained and instituted marriage. And so Lord, you're the one who knows how it best works. And God, we do pray in the name of your son for, Uh, the marriages across this country, uh, 
I'd be so bold as to pray that you will send uh, revival in homes, send a revival in marriages, send hope, oh God. And Lord, just work in a great way. We need to turn this whole thing around. And, and for those who are listening who might be struggling and at a point and that's not so healthy in their marriage, I pray that you give them hope. I pray, oh God, that you call them back to the sacred why. I pray, Lord, that you will bring solutions. And God, just use this uh, podcast to encourage and bless and strengthen what you have ordained. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, everybody, for, for listening on another episode of Between Two Trees podcast. Brian and Crawford, you've been a gift. Thank yeah, you so much absolutely. for your time. Well, Kurt, it's good to be with you. Always, we'll see you next time, and uh, be sure to tune in. Tell your friends about this podcast. Uh, like it on uh, whatever platform you're listening, and uh, please give us five stars <laughs> and do a review, a uh, positive review. Tell us about it, and uh, buy Brian's book. Mm. And we'll link. We'll link that uh, for those to be able to uh, to check out uh, as well. Um, again, thanks everybody for being with us on this journey, for uh, sitting with us at the table, and look forward to continuing the conversation next time. Mm-hmm.